Hello and welcome to Local Matters. I'm Caroline Moore and today I'm chatting with local artist, reverend, and American Legion District Commander Skip Ritter. Good afternoon. Hello, hello. Thank you for coming in. No problem. Before we dive into the American Legion, your artistry, can you tell us a little bit about where you're from? Sure. Uh, I was born and raised early years of my life in San Francisco, California. And uh, my father was from Beloit, Wisconsin. And, of course, needless to say, when he got out of the service, we went to Wisconsin uh, to live. And so I spent quite a bit of life in Madison and Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, and then, of course, the school was there at the university and the tech school, so we got got involved there. And from there, um, employment took me to different places. So I've worked in Chicago and in San Diego and places like that. What was your job? Well, um, I should say that when I, uh, I became a professional engineer, uh, registered with the state of Wisconsin, and so... Um, I became a consulting engineer for a number of years, very active in our uh, international association of over 75,000 members worldwide that sets the standards for heating and air conditioning, plumbing, electrical, some of those things. And um, so um, it became an opportunity. I thought I was gonna start a consulting firm myself. And um, so I thought, well, the best way to do that is to get some experience besides design work, actually work for a contractor and work for a manufacturer. And so I actually did those things be- before I um, left the business world, which I became the director of national accounts for a Fortune 500 company. Wow. So what made you want to leave the engineering world? If you receive a calling from the Lord, it, the thing to do is to be obedient. And I felt that I was being called into full-time ministry. Uh, I was active in a church in uh, Schaumburg, Illinois, which is just a suburb of, of Chicago. And I was still working um, with the Fortune 500 company. And uh, that kind of started the ball rolling. And then when Terry and I were on vacation, um, I kind of was praying a little bit and, and got the feeling that I need to go to seminary. And so there we went. We went off to seminary. Um, but I had to move to California to do that. And you went back. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm back, yes. You mentioned your wife, Terry Ritter. Right. Locals might know her. She is a local artist here as well. Yes, yes, she is. Where did you all meet? Actually, we met at church. Okay. She was a, now she's a redhead today, but she was a beautiful blonde when I met her in church. And uh, yeah, so I saw her over the counter in the church and I went up and started talking to her and gave her my business card with my home phone number on it and said, if I could help, let me know. And then we met at, at a uh, retreat for singles. I was running the uh, singles ministry in the church at the time and working bivocational in the business world. And um didn't take too long and we found an attraction for each other and um, we got married about a year later well that's a great way to meet people if you're single (laughs) run a singles club (laughs) well we were our singles ministry would have over 100 people come uh, because we were in the chicago area and so the singles would move from church to church depending upon the activities that were going on did you grow up in a religious family uh well mom and dad 
kind of pushed my sister and myself off to a neighbor to take us to church. <laughs> so, <laughs> but we went to a Presbyterian church for a while and a Lutheran church on, um, on the other side of town, which where my aunt and uncle went to. So that's kind of the background that I got. I'll be honest with you. I thought the Bible was a good moral book to live your life by, but I didn't know as if everything in it was really true. And it took me some time to figure that one out. When you say you have a calling or you get some sort of message from up above, what was that experience like for you? Was it an actual thought? Did you hear a voice or was it just a sudden shift in your thinking? Well, it was... um, so vibrant that it actually lifted me off the towel I was laying on on the beach at Hilton Head, South Carolina. Really? Yeah. So um, I thought I was going to um, uh, retire eventually, and I would go into full-time ministry with sing, uh, seniors. And when Terry said, well, let's go back. When we get back, we'll get you registered for school, for seminary. Um, it eventually worked out that I got my calling was actually sooner then when I retired. So that's kind of how that worked out. I'm Caroline Moore, and today I am chatting with local artist, reverend, and American Legion District Commander Skip Ritter. Can you tell us a little bit about the process of becoming ordained? Yeah, um, there are several methods. Um, Sometimes when people graduate from college, I mean from seminary, they will um, be ordained by the seminary or their denomination of, of church. Uh, sometimes you are in a church, and a church will license you and then ordain you later as you fulfill some of the obligations and training and schooling that would be required for an ordained minister. Of course, when you're ordained, you're asked a lot of crazy questions about the Bible and what you believe and what you put your faith in and, and how committed are you in these areas. And then they say yay or nay, whether they're going to confirm you or not in that process. And after you were confirmed, did you get sent somewhere or do you decide what you want to do? Well, I was confirmed in the church. Okay, I started in a church in Southern California where I was going to seminary and I left the business world to start there. I went from a very large income down to $10,000 a year. <laughs> Income. Well, that is quite the change. <laughs> and that money went towards um, seminary. And so I became an associate pastor in the church. And um, then the denomination I was with called me to go plant churches. And so when I started planting churches, and one of those churches ended up being my church or Terry's of my church that we were doing for the district. And uh, there, within those, the elders. Uh, ordained me in that process. When did you start prison ministry? Well, let, let me go back a little bit. <laughs> um, in the late 80s is when I got the calling to go into full-time ministry. By 93, I was ordained. And in the process of that, my wife got involved with uh, ladies' ministry that were going to prison in Texas, and they would do a week of ministry work. And um, my wife came back from the first time, and she says, you must go with me next time because they need men in there. And it was a woman's prison. And uh, I said, well, no, I can't do that. I'm, I've got this church that we're working on. 
She said, you think you need to come? So I finally said, okay, I'll go down for part of the time, but I'll come home early so I can do the services on Sunday. And when I got down there in uh, Texas and um, met the inmates, I was astounded at their admission to faith and what happened in the chapel. Uh, Many of the women would come in and, you know, they'd have to sit in in a row where they were assigned, but they could ask for permission to leave the row row that they were sitting in, and, and they'd go up and kneel at the altar and start praying. And it actually was a very spiritual moving situation, and that kind of got me caught in, in doing that. So I went back another year, and we did ministry down there, but I've also done ministry in uh, uh, Sarasota, Florida, because I got hired as a chaplain for the sheriff's department there. When you're in the prisons, did you see anything that surprised you or was it i'm sure you did but (laughs) well there's always surprises in a prison or a jail and uh, in texas i met carla faye tucker she is the first woman that has been um, executed in texas since the civil war when i went down the first time no the second time i think it was uh carla faye said i have your name in my bible and I said, do you do? She said, I've been praying for you for a whole year. And I was just astounded. And some of the other women in there decided that they wanted to give out of their commissary funds a tithe to our church. And so that kind of got me hooked in that process. Um, when people are so committed that they want to do things like that, it, it's astounding. It's an act of, of God working in their life. It's not to say that when we got on the psych ward that they found out that we were ministers and the toilets started flushing and people were telling us to get away from them. Mm-hmm. But it's amazing because you can bring calmness to a situation like that when you walk in from a spiritual perspective. So when I was in Sarasota and I was uh, the chaplain for the Pittsburgh Pirates, I met the chaplain for the sheriff's office, and he invited me to come and see what he does on a Saturday night. Uh, he did three services, and so uh, at the end of the s- second service, he said, how about you doing the last one? And then after that, he said, how about coming in next week? <laughs> and so that kind of started the ball rolling. How did you end up in Tennessee? You've talked about Chicago, California, Florida, Texas. Well, when I was in the business world, I really wanted to live along the Mason-Dixon line somewhere because Wisconsin is very cold in the wintertime. I couldn't do it. (laughs) And I didn't want to live in Florida because Florida was exceedingly hot. And um, there's a bug down there called love bugs. And you drive down the road and your car is just black with them uh, when you leave the city. So I didn't really like that situation. When God said it was time to move on out of the ministry with the sheriff's department there, by the way, I became an officer in order to do that ministry there. It was a prerequisite of the sheriff's department. You couldn't be the chaplain of the agency unless you went through the academy. Your resume is quite extensive. (laughs) (laughs) So... um, when when we felt our time was ready to move on in 2006, we we moved uh, to Tennessee. But the interesting thing was we kind of looked at the map, and and we saw this town called Crossville, Tennessee. We thought, oh, that's kind of interesting. We'll go up and take a look there. 
and so we ended up in in um, uh, Monterey and then ended up living here in town, which has really been a tremendous blessing. We're glad you're here. I love Cookville. <laughs> More with Skip Ritter after the break. What's so important about shopping with locally owned businesses? When you shop local, your hard-earned dollars stay here in the community, helping to benefit your friends and neighbors, local schools, roads, and all aspects of community life. But what happens to my money if I spend it online or at a national chain store? In most cases, the profits go far away, out of state, corporate headquarters, or even overseas. It doesn't take any extra effort to shop local. Office Mart on South Jefferson and Cookville is your locally owned office furniture and supply store. For over 35 years, they've been proud to serve businesses in the Upper Cumberland with quality and value. You get real customer service, too. And unlike shopping online, you can actually see and try out the large inventory of office furniture in their showroom. And when it's delivered, it's not a box on your step. They're glad to install and set up everything. Office Mart. There's no other locally owned office store in the region. South Jefferson Avenue across from Hardee's. Shop local at Office Mart. Hello and welcome to Local Matters. I'm Caroline Moore and today I'm chatting with local artist, reverend, and American Legion District Commander Skip Ritter. Good morning. How did you get involved in the American Legion? Well, American Legion is is an organization for people who are veterans of military services. So um, I found a place where you can go that like no other place, maybe church is the only other example, where you walk into a room and you know that all 100 guys or 150 guys or 25 guys all have the same thing in common. And you can have a communication and trust each other and watch each other six at the same time. Did you serve? Yes, I was in the U.S. Coast Guard from 1964 to 72, yeah. What was that like? What, or what made you decide to enlist? Well, in those days, <laughs> we had the draft. And um, I was going to school, and I didn't want to lose the schooling, at, but yet I knew I, had, I was going to be called if I didn't do something. So I went down and wrote the um, Air Force Navigator's exam because I really wanted to become a pilot one day. But it took so long for them to get the information back that I decided I couldn't wait any longer and went down to the Coast Guard and signed up. <laughs> and the interesting thing was, too, that a couple of days before I was going to boot camp, uh, I got a phone call. I was accepted to the Navigator School at Denver, Colorado. Wow. And I, and I couldn't go because <laughs> I was already sworn in to go to the Coast Guard. Did that upset you? Well, it was a little different because I figured that had been another couple more years of schooling, uh, being at the academy. And... Um, but this was going to be a more instantaneous, so I took care of that. So what was the nature of your service? Well, in those days, of course, the Coast Guard did aids to navigation. And um, uh, so we'd, we'd go out and uh, do aids by checking buoys and replacing them, make sure they were in the right place after a storm. And, and we'd also help the personnel, which would be other Coast Guard people, at the lighthouses um, around the world, in fact, and and take food and mail and so uh, that kind of thing back and forth. But probably the most exciting thing in those days 
was we take a 44-footer out on Lake Michigan and we wind her up and we do a 90-degree turn and the amphibious airplanes from the Coast Guard would take off from our wake to break the suction from the bottom of the plane and they could get on the air much faster. So you had that airplane going right overhead. Wow. Is that one of your favorite memories? <laughs> That's absolutely <laughs> one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah, but the Coast Guard today, of course, is under the Department of Security of the nation. And so they're, they're active with trying to do drug things, and, and um, the, which would have been a lot more interesting than just lifting a buoy out of the water or, <laughs> helping, the <laughs> or t- helping a sailboat get tipped right side up, you know, because somebody flipped their sailboat. I'm Caroline Moore, and I am chatting with local artist, Reverend, and American Legion District Commander Skip Ritter. What what made you decide to leave the Coast Guard? Well, um, I was married, a couple of kids, and my priorities were family and school, finished school. So that I left for that reason. And um, I actually regret that I left because it would have been nice to have finished 20 years in there and had a second uh, income at retirement. Right, especially when you leave a Fortune 500 company for your $10,000 salary. Yes. (laughs) With the American Legion here, do you play a specific role in the organization? Yes. um, In the district that I'm in, which is District 4, we have 16 different American posts, from Salina to Spencer, from Crossville to Lebanon. Now, those 16 posts all have commanders, and they run their posts, but... I'm the district commander, so I'm their encourager and their person they go to if they have a, have problems. So I visit all those posts, excuse me, and I intend to be there with, to every one of them within this year, at least once, sometimes two times. But um, the great thing about that is that I'm with other men and women who served in the military whenever I go in that room, and that's that's always a good thing. It's always a fun thing. Is it like an an unspeakable bond for you? It is an unspeakable bond. And um, respect and honor is based in both of those things. You know, military people take a, they actually have to be sworn in, okay? That's an oath that they take. That oath is never removed from us, even when we retire or leave the service. That's always with us. So when we walk in a room, we all know we've got that same oath that's still on us to protect this country and family. When you're at the meetings, are you talking about your experiences in the military, in the Coast Guard, for example, or are you just kind of talking about life and how those experiences affect you? Well, the truth of the matter is that when once the meeting starts, mm-hmm. all the chit-chat that about the different services, like I had a guy come up and say, you're a pirate. And I said, yeah, and you're a swabby, too. <laughs> you know, after that's all done and the meeting starts, then it is, is based on how and what we do as American Legion. You know, the American Legion is 103 years old. Yes, I read that it started in 1919. Yes, it did. You, you did just research, <laughs> didn't you? I try to be prepared. <laughs> yeah. And why did it start? Do you know why? It was after World War One. Yeah. So it served as a way for the veterans and people who served to stick together and help each other out and have camaraderie, right? Th- that's right. That's how it started. And, it's, and they quickly grew to one million. And today we're over 2 million people wow. in, in the organization. Of course, we lose veterans every year, 
but we gain veterans also. So that's kind of an interesting thing. And the American Legion stands on four pillars, okay? Let me share with you what those are. Uh, we take care of our veterans, so we watch out for them, and we look out uh, and support rehabilitation of them. And then we also ha are involved with national security. We have people in the American Legion that are overseas right now that are ex-military people that are helping other countries like Ukraine. Wow, I didn't realize that. And then the next pillar is Americanism. We want things to be American and not be some other country. And so we support Americanism in this country. And the last thing is we support children and the youth. And not just the military children and the youth, but uh, all schools. We have program which is an oratorial and we go to the schools and we try to get students to come in and compete in the oratorio, uh, which would be a talk about the, our Congress and the, um, they would have to give a speech uh, between, I think it's five and seven minutes um, without cards, without a podium, and they could talk about the Bill of Rights in, the, in the, our country. And that if they win, um, then they get to go at the state level. And then they, if they state level, they win, they get to go to the nationals. And we had a girl just this last year, I think she was 14, who won about $20,000 coming in second place in the nationals. And this is such great skills to develop too. Yes, These it are is. lifelong skills, whether you go into the military or not. Right, and it will carry on with them. I, I've talked with a couple of judges here in town, and they remember their days of oratorial Boy State, which is another program that we have. Yes. And right here in our, our city, I think we had 34 boys go to Boy State right here at the, at the university for a week and learn about politics and how to be elected and so on and so forth. So that's, that's in their history. And these two attorneys say, anytime you need us to come back, we know how beneficial it was for us. So we'd like to help others do that too. More with Skip Ritter after the break. Hello and welcome to Local Matters. I'm Caroline Moore and today I'm chatting with local artist, Reverend and American Legion District Commander Skip Ritter. Before the break, you mentioned that the American Legion is involved in Boys State. Yes. What other local projects and matters is the American Legion involved in? Well, the American Legion is also involved in Boy Scouts and Girl State. They support people that would do the same thing as, as boys would do, only for girls, uh, even though it's not an American Legion program. Uh, Boy Scouts, not an American Legion program, but we support them and we try to be involved with them. Air Patrol, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, in Baxter, we put up a, um, a couple of flagpoles and, and flags for the schools. And so we're, we're active in the community trying to involve the youth because they're our future. And if they don't know history and if they don't know what our military people do, then that we'll lose all that. And we won't have that respect that we want to give our military people. How can people get involved in the American Legion? Well, first of all, you have to be a veteran. Okay. okay. Now, it's kind of simple because um, a couple of years ago, uh, President Trump uh, passed a bill that said if you served 
one day of active duty and got an honorable discharge, you could be a member of any support group of the, of the military. And there are other support groups like the AMVETS and disabled veterans. And um, so the, the rule is you just have to spend one day. But you have to fill out an application. You have to bring a w, uh, your DD-214 in that shows you've uh, served and you uh, got an honorable discharge. And then you become a member. And um, some posts meet only once a month, but some posts meet every week. And it just depends upon what you want to be involved with, how much involvement do you want. The post that I belong to, which happens to be 135 here in, in Cookville, we um, meet the first Tuesday of each month in a restaurant. We have a board, actually have the executive board meeting where anybody can come, have breakfast, talk about some of the struggles they're having, and what they'd like to discuss at a business meeting so it could get put on the agenda. The next Tuesday is an evening at six o'clock and we have our membership meeting and we have an actual board meeting in that room where people can vote on different things they want to support. And then the, the third week we have dinner out where you can bring your family and friends and as uh, American Legion people. And then the fourth week we have family night on a Tuesday night, you play games, um, cornhole, you can play poker or whatever, you know, whatever your game is and, and bring your family and, and participate in that kind of a thing. Well, y'all stay busy over yeah. at Post 135. Well, yes, <laughs> man, we do. Well, we also have another post in town. It's okay. 46. And it, while it's active, it's just active in a little different areas. Okay. When If people are interested in applying or joining, is there information online? Can you walk us through that process? Yes, there is. Um, You can go online and go to my legion or theamericanlegion.com or .org, either way, and you'll get all kinds of information. Go to Google and just say, I want to look up uh, the history of the American Legion, and you'll come up with 12 pages instantaneously of history. so it's rather easy. It's, there's a small application, and uh, I think the fee for both posts is $40, and you're a member that, that easy. And we love new members, so we're actively recruiting all the time. You'll find us at Walmart or Sam's Club or uh, Lowe's or whatever, trying to uh, get other people to be involved with American Legion. How do you hope the American Legion grows in the coming years? Well, my personal thing that I've been praying for is that we do a lot of things out of tradition, and I just want us to be more spirit-filled in those things that we do so that we're not just doing routine things that are boring and, and there's no fresh things to go on. Like we have a post here that uh, does uh, fishing tournaments out of the catfish farm for kids. You that's know, so that's fun. that's great. Yeah, and they win cash prizes for those. And the look on some of those kids' faces when they catch a big fish is really incredible. Um, so we just do various things like that. You are also an artist on top of all of this. <laughs> You're a woodworker. Yes. Primarily. A wood turner. A wood turner. Right. Wood turner. <laughs> How did you get into wood turning? Well, uh, when I retired and um, I was used to wearing a uniform all the time as a pastor and before that a, a three-piece suit as a businessman, all of a sudden I didn't have anything. You know, when you retire, you got your home, 
gee, you could get things fixed, okay, what are you going to do next? I haven't got anything to do. So I started thinking about what I would like to do. So between wood turning and riding a motorcycle, those are the things that I picked to do. And so I actually went out and bought a lathe and uh, started uh, turning wood. And then um, Terry and I found uh, a school, a John C. Campbell School over in North Carolina. And it was a great school for, for learning. She took a painting class. I took a wood turning class. And I came back with all kinds of new ideas and, and some pretty nice pieces. And as I've, I've been at it ever since. So I've been almost 20 years now. I'm Caroline Moore, and today I'm chatting with local artist, reverend, and American Legion District Commander Skip Ritter. Skip, does it help being married to an artist as you develop your own artistry? Do you kind of have this language and understanding? Well, every situation is different, but my wife uh, was a flight attendant for 30 years, and when we retired, um, I decided that she had supported me in the ministry uh, by taking extra flights to make our budget meet, um, that she had expressed an interest in, in art, drawing, and painting. And so uh, I decided that I needed to give her a gift, uh, some artwork uh, or some materials for artwork. And that's how that started on her side. And then my side, of course, I just decided to buy a a lathe and went to work on, the, on, on pieces of wood. Does your experience as an engineer help you with your art? Well, it, it helps me only know, in only knowing the dynamics of, <laughs> of turning wood at 2,000 RPMs and putting a metal piece of a tool to that wood to make it start turning, uh, shaping it into some something that might be used. And... Um, but the interesting thing is when you do this, you end up looking like you have a ghillie suit on because you have all those wood chips and, and the sand, uh, uh, sawdust all over you. And it takes a, quite a bit to get cleaned up and not track that dust and sawdust through the house. What types of pieces do you craft? Um, platters, bowls, uh, boxes, uh, vases, um, all kinds of unique things. Seldom are they anywhere near the same uh, because I don't like to duplicate things. Everything is unique. So when you buy one of my pieces, you buy a unique piece. What inspires you? How you how do you decide, today I'm going to make a bowl? Well, you can say just say it that way. I'm going <laughs> to go downstairs and I'm going to pick out a piece of wood and I'm going to trim it and then I'm going to put it in the lathe and – now the, the interesting part starts because wood sometimes has a mind of its own. <laughs> I have worked on a large walnut bowl, and I've had it explode. And it has gone through uh, the ceiling, five-eighths inch drywall in the ceiling in my shop, and almost broke a pitcher window when it exploded. Uh, so it, it it, it has a mind of its own. So you have to be very careful when you do this. Uh, I've also had a $50 piece of wood of cherry that I started on the back side of it, and it came out really nice. And I thought, okay, I'm done for the day. I'm, I'm tired. I'm going to go in and rest. And I came back the next morning, and I wasn't in it 15 minutes, and it exploded. And there goes 50 bucks right down the tubes. 
It really makes you appreciate nature. <laughs> <laughs> well, whenever I do a show, I always leave a piece of wood or a couple of pieces of wood on a table so that they can see how a piece really can be broken up really bad and why I charge what I charge. Do you take commissions, speaking of? Oh, yeah, I do commission pieces. People see things that they like, and they, they ask me if I could make something similar to it. And uh, I've done that and sold those pieces as well. So, If people are interested in looking at your work or commissioning something from you, do you have a website or any sort of contact information? Yes, I do. I have to get out my business <laughs> card for that. But it's called Ritter's Arts. And um, you can find it on the website. And you can also find it under Ritter's at gmail.com. Or you can find it under um, uh, Ritter's Art at uh, www.rittersart.com. And you can call me at 931-210-7001, and I'll start you with this. By the way, I love giving away the training to do these things. I don't want this, what we do is to be a lost art. So if people are interested, I love to talk to them about it, show them different techniques, different tools, and things that they can use if they want to get involved in that kind of a thing. If you are interested, call Skip because his pieces really are so impressive and so beautiful. (laughs) And Skip. You're so kind. (laughs) No, it's the truth. You have so many hats. I feel like you've lived so many lives. What is your approach to life? Do you have a certain philosophy that keeps you eager to learn and grow and expand? I do. You know, first of all, I'm always looking for God's invitation to do something. And actually, most of the things that I've done in my uh, adult life have been because God's been involved in inviting me to do those things. But I also know from experience and watching other people that if you just stop doing things— you're going to die. But if you're involved in things, you you extend your life. And personally, I feel like God wants to use you as long as you want to be used. And I want to be used until I'm used up. So I don't know when that'll be either. Not anytime soon. (laughs) I hope not. You're still on the motorcycle, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Skip, thank you so much for coming in. You're entirely welcome. I hope you all have a great rest of the week. God bless.